We want to welcome those of you who are with us for the first time today, and as well, uh, our churches that are streaming, Comidrand, Vetporki, Ranfontaine, Carltonville, Protiadland, Cape Town, and Brackburn. Well, I just came very late last night. I was in Limpopo this weekend. God is doing amazing things in our country. I'm telling you, Bazalana, it is time for restoration. The church, the body of Christ, is getting back up on its feet. I think maybe sometimes I'm, I get very excited and I say a lot and you wonder, what is he excited about? I understand you may not necessarily understand my excitement, but because I travel this country a lot and I'm relating with people from around the world, I get to see the broader picture of what God is doing around the world. I was with uh, uh, one of the guest speakers at the conference was Apostle Banks. He's from Florida, and uh, they have bought a huge piece of property there in the U.S., Moilungore, they're developing uh, flats uh, and, and, and houses for people who are first-time home buyers, plus they're building a huge conference center. It's unbelievable. And, I mean, this is a church doing that. You know, and they've got a very large congregation. It's an incredible man of God. And then yesterday, I mean, uh, on our Friday and yesterday, uh, we were in Zanin at God Reigns International. They call it Greek uh, uh, Apostle Mosendala. You probably know him, but probably know his son more, Lungindala, the, the gospel artist, pastor, gospel artist, pastor's kid. All, all yeah. He is leading the, he's leading the branch of the church here in Samrand. And Lungi is doing incredibly well. And what I'm finding very interesting, Barcelona, and, and God's really granted me the grace that all these young leaders uh, have asked me to mentor them. Anyhow, many of them, I've known them for years. And when they started, they came to ask me to father them and so on. So I get to be among young leaders. And I see their demeanor is so different from ours. You know, and the, the main thing is that they were able to be exposed to older leaders who could share wisdom for ministry. So they got to learn certain things when they are young. So a number of things I like about them. Number one, these young guys, they are really Christ-centered. You know, you know, they're just so focused. Number two, they've got good marriages. You know, I tell them, you guys, you must love your wife. every day. Yeah, every day. You know, you must love that woman. You must love your husband and so on. Number three, they, they have ethics about them. They, are, they have integrity about them, these young guys. Number four, they honor leaders, senior leaders. And I said, look, I've honored senior leaders. Take after me. Honor senior leaders. You'll go far in ministry. Number four, they learn the principles. You know, anytime I preach anywhere and teach on leadership, they come to learn the principles of leadership. I spend time with them one-on-one. -on -one. Go to their churches and I preach and all of that. And so what's happened to these young guys? They're leading large churches, big churches. I mean, they're still young, these guys. Large ministries. They've planted several churches. And the other thing I've encouraged them is that befriend one another at your age. You're all of the same age group. You know, it's good, Bazalana, to have people of your age group who are doing the same thing and you become friends together. To influence one another in a positive way and to hold one another accountable. So, I mean, they are friends. He's friends with uh, Dr. Tumi, Takindo, uh, Colin Maluleke. They are friends, Lebo, Muruti Jabum Tsueni, Pastor Msipa. And, and anytime any of them does something, they travel and they support one another. When you dedicate the building of another, they are all there, and they're all my sons and daughters. And it's incredible. What I'm trying to say is that I think the church is in safe hands. Amen. The generation after us. Amen. Amen. And that's why we're investing in these young leaders here in our church, because we're not going to lead forever. We're not going to lead forever. And I, like I told you, 40 years I've been leading the church. Uh, I'll continue to oversee, but I'll, we want to see these young leaders uh, start leading. And they've been leading anyhow, just that will give them more responsibility 
and we'll just continue in the background helping train them. We will be here, we will preach, but the, it's, it's the season for the change of vanguard. Are you there, Barcelona? Yeah, and we really, we want these young guys to go and they should do more than us. And I just pray that you learn in what we say, what we preach, what we model, and you learn what being ministry is like because God is restoring. And that's what we're talking about this month, restoration, restoration, restoration. I want to talk to you from Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, and show you when God restores. You remember we started first in Jewel, when God says, I'll restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm, the palmerworm, and he talks about how we will come into a time of plenty, you know, where we will get crops and we will get grain and God will protect us and all of that. And all of that that God is saying, as much as it was meant to be in the physical, in the natural, natural food, natural rain, he speaks of the spiritual things. But I want us to focus mostly on the rain part in Zechariah 10. And as you've heard me say, and I'll repeat this, in the Old Testament there are prophets that we could call prophets of restoration. When God raised these prophets, even if their message was to challenge the people at the time and to call out the wrong and the sin that was happening, their message was a message of hope nonetheless where God was saying, you, you, you've, you've moved away from me. You, you've disobeyed me, and as a result, you have all these things happen to you. But if you will tend to me with all your hearts, I will restore. I'm just using just an umbrella term. I will restore. I'll bring back to you. So we call them prophets of re- restoration. Zechariah, Joel, uh, uh, Haggai, Hosea, and all these prophets, when you read all these books, They talk about restoration. So in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1 reads, Ask ye, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord will make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Now, we have said this, but... I, I want to rather say it again so that everybody's on the same page, right? Uh, you know that these Jewish people, these Hebrew people, were farmers. Or you could say they were nomadic people. Now, to the farmer, the, the weather patterns are very important. And, and to them in particular, particularly in days when Technology hadn't advanced as much. They depended a lot on the weather patterns. You want the seasons to, 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 to work properly. I mean, like right now, we're already in September. We should be having rain by now. Uh, but we know that the phenomenon of global warming is really affecting our weather patterns, and our weather patterns have really changed. I mean, look last week how cold it was. In September, we shouldn't be going around wearing the Vascotagama September. And the weather had to come in on time because the way God has wired nature, as we said when we started this series, nature works on a cyclical pattern. There's always a time code. Nature is time-coded. And, and we were saying that last week about the number 40. And it's important for us to note that this coding that's in nature is the way the world works, right? So if, if rain is to come, we should have had rain, uh, what we call spring rains, at the beginning of this month. And the purpose of the spring rains is, is to prepare the soil right, and to get the soil to be moist and to prepare it for us to be able to put plants in. But also, because we were coming out of, uh, uh, what comes first? We came out of winter and autumn. No, 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 no. Winter, we came out of winter. Winter comes before, after autumn, right? 
We came out of winter. As you know, it was dry. There was no rain. Lots of plants died, and there was a lot of pollen in the air. Many people got sick. I mean, even recently, many people, I think last week, my eyes were, were kind of infected, were very red, if you noted them, because I had a bit of infection, because there's a lot of pollen in the air, because this pollen has to be in the air, and the seeds are transported by, by the, the wind uh, to go to different places, because it's time for that. And these seeds, as they fall into the ground, when rain comes, then they start germinating. It's just a, a time coding that God has put in nature. So you've got to have rain come at the right time in, in uh, what you call the spring rains, what the Bible calls the early rains, right? So you have the early rains come, and then, and then, you, then, then we, we go through September, October with rain. But then you know that in December and January, we have another type of rain that comes in, that sometimes stretches right into February, that is a, it's, it's, it's called the latter rain in Bible terms. But the purpose of that rain is different to the early rains. The early rains prepare the soil, make it uh, soft, to prepare it to receive the seed, to give enough moisture to the ground for the seeds to germinate. But as you come to December, January, February, now the seeds have germinated, the plants have come out of the ground, it's time for them to get into another stage of maturity, and they need enough moisture to be matured. So you have to have the latter rain. But even when it rains, it has to rain in, in right amounts. Okay, if too much rain comes on the, on, the, on the ground, when the ground is still hard with the early rains, it falls on the ground, but it kind of drifts off the ground just flows off the ground, all right? So you want rain to come in enough amounts. But as a good farmer, you also anticipate the rain, right? So in other words, as a farmer, you read the signs of nature. Now remember, as I, even if as I'm talking naturally, I want you to think about it on two levels, right? So if you, are a, if, you are a, if you are a spiritual farmer like me, right, you look at the weather patterns in the spiritual atmosphere and you can tell when the rain is about to come, right? So what do you do? If you are a good farmer and you know that the early rains are coming, instead of leaving the ground hard, watch this, you till the ground so that you can benefit from the rain that comes, your, your ground can benefit. When you till the ground and you make it soft, when the rain falls, it doesn't flow off the ground, it seeps into the ground. So you, you, be, you benefit from the outpouring of the rain. In the same way, as a preacher and as a leader of a church, you look at the spiritual atmosphere and I know what we need to do to till the ground. I know what we have to do so that when the rain falls, we can benefit from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Are you there, Basalan? Alim Kutu this morning, are you there, Basalan? So, so, but then it has to rain in right amounts. And if, say it rains in right amounts and you've tilled the ground and you've put your seed in the ground and the Seed grows very nicely, and you come to December, and, and, and you know, your seed has grown, and it's, it's beautiful, and you're going towards harvest. But then the rain comes, and it's too much rain, and it drowns out your, your crop, and all the work, because you, 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 you're working on a cycle of 12 months, and all the work here, 12 months, is lost just by one incident. So, I mean, the, the farmers never yet May it rain in the right time and in right amount. Now, let's assume it's rained in the right time, in right amounts, and the crop is fresh, is ready for harvest, and just before harvest, just before harvest, the locusts, the cankerworm, and all of that comes. And eats up, you know. So, so they never, <laughs> never mean you know. So, so when all of that, as much as it has a natural significance, there's a spiritual significance. But here, God says to them, in the time of the latter rain, ask for more rain. Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Note, <clears throat> it is the time for rain. In other words, 
It's not that there's nothing going on. It's not that it's a dry spell. Right? It's not that there's no rain. But there is rain. But God wants them to ask for rain so that they get it in increased amounts. But this time around, the increased amounts of rain will not destroy the, fr- the, 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 the crop. It will just bring them into uh, a lot of more harvest and bounty harvest. And he said, if you ask for that rain, the Lord will make bright clouds. And he will give them rain. And he says, it will not just be rain, it will be showers of rain. Now, l- listen to this. This is important. This is important. This is important. I used to love it when it rains as a child, you know. I love walking in the rain. I don't know many of you, but I love walking in the rain. I don't love walking in the rain as much as my bishop does. She loves it. To the extent that she doesn't want an umbrella when it rains. And I say, hey, I have to have an umbrella. Now, we used to walk to school as children. And, and during the rainy season, it was very difficult because there are times when the rain would just wait for you. Just, just, yeah, yeah, it just waits for you. Just when it's time to go home or just when you are on your way home, then there's a cloud burst. Has it, had it, has it rained on you so much that you were wet through and through? We won't, we, won't name, we won't name the articles of clothing. You were wet right through, through and through. You got wet, every item got wet, and your books got wet. Have you ever been there? Everything about you got wet because the type of rain that rained that day was showers. There are times when it rains, it's scattered thunder showers. It just trickles here and there. You know, even if you're walking in the rain, you get wet, but not really not so wet. And not everything about you gets wet. Mara, when it's showers of rain, everything gets wet. Now, this kind of rain that God's talking about says, if you ask me for rain in the time of the latter rain, I'm not going to give you scattered thunder showers. I'm going to give you showers of rain. One translation says, I'm going to give you heavy rain torrents. Watch this now. Watch. This is important. Let's translate it into the spiritual. You know, when God is working in our lives, one of my observations is that you may have a lot of things going well and you see God's grace in a lot of things in your life. Mara, it's not everything that it has lined up. Let me explain what I mean. You may be, spiritually speaking, enjoying a great fellowship with God when you pray, the anointing is on you. Mara, when it comes to money, so, so, so it's raining in your spiritual life, Mara. It's not raining in your financial life. So it's scattered thunder showers. Come on now, I'm trying to teach you something, y'all. Right? So, 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 or, or, or your finances are good, your spiritual life is good, but come on kung laluana all the time. And I don't know why came me come. Laluana all the time. So it's raining, but it's scattered thunder showers. This one says, when you ask for that rain, in the time of the latter rain, God will not give you scattered thunder showers, but he will give you heavy rain torrents. Everything about you will experience a touch of God. Now, it may not be in same amounts, but when you look around you, Yonkito, even if other things may not be at an, at an optimum level, are you listening to that? And when that happens, God is the one who is working. Now note, that word ask tells us therefore that even if you are in a period of rain, even when you are experiencing a move of God, you mustn't stop asking. Many people make the mistake that when they start experiencing God's reign, God's move in their lives, they disconnect from God. There are many pastors, when their churches start growing, they stop praying, they stop preparing, they stop planting churches, they stop, they become inward looking. 
There are people that once back Kriya, their first job, their first car, they stopped coming to church. Right? They stop, they stop everything about their spiritual disciplines. And yet what you don't realize is that what you have received is simply the early rains. It's just the start. It's just the entry level. It's a car, but it's an entry level. What God wants to do is to pimp your right. That's what he wants to do. He wants to give you full house. entry level. God doesn't want those windows. He wants you to press the window and then it just goes up. Look at your neighbor and say, I, I hope I wind the fester at all. So we need to do the asking and stay in a state where we show God that God will depend on you. In Matthew 7 verse 7, excuse me. Jesus says, ask and it shall be given you. In John 16, 24, Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Now note what it says. It says, ask the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Watch. The word time there is the Hebrew word E-T-H. And that word earth means time, the right time, the proper time, but it also means a season. In other words, even when things are happening in your life, See, as much as thank God that our church is growing and all of that, me, I'm not satisfied. No. There's more. Now, I'm, please let me explain. I'm not talking about my personal needs. That, that's, that's a different story. When it comes to personal life, you must learn to be content. It doesn't mean you don't want more. But, you know, but when it comes to Achieving for God. Do you understand what I'm saying, Bazaran? When it comes to your mission and your vision, if you have one company, why are you satisfied with the one? Why is there only two or three? Even only degree A1, why are you satisfied with A1? Oh, Latula, yeah. So this says, even if it's, it's, even if it's, you are already experiencing some success. It, it's, it's, you are in the season of success. It's the season for rain. Right? Even if people are getting saved in the church and, and churches are getting planted. Still ask. Yeah. Yeah, because God wants to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Why are we asking? Because God, whatever he starts, he brings to fulfillment. In Philippians 1.6, in the Bible in basic English, Paul says, For I am certain of this very thing, that he by whom the good work has started in you. People get satisfied, I will start God doesn't want to end with the starting. He wants to complete. He who has started in you will make it complete. Look at your neighbor and say, God's going to make it complete. Our prayers are like incense that rises up to God. That brings about a spiritual atmosphere that results in rain. And he says, even if God's moving... Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Let your prayers rise up to heaven. Revelations 5.8 tells us this. Having every one of them harps, golden vials, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the more we pray, 
The more this incense rises up to God, is the more God affects the weather patterns in a spiritual sense. Then it says, if you ask, it says, the Lord will make bright clouds. Somebody say bright clouds. Tell your neighbor, tell three people, neighbor, it's bright clouds. Tell them, tell them, it's bright clouds. Now, clouds in the Bible have always been very significant when God had encounters with people. You remember in the Old Testament, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, it was covered in clouds. There was smoke, there was lightning, and thunder. That's thunder. So clouds in the Bible, not just they speak of natural clouds, but they, they are referring mostly to what we call the Shekinah glory of God. Let me read you some verses. Revelation 14, 14, it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud, one that sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown in his harp, and a sharp circle. Exodus 14, 19 says, And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face. Remember the children of Israel in, in, in the wilderness? There was a cloud that led them. Second Chronicles 5, 14 says, So that the priests could not stand and minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So the cloud speaks of the glory of the Lord. Now what is the glory of the Lord? What do we mean when we say the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord speaks of God's beauty, His power, His honor, His greatness, and His authority. When you talk about the glory of God, you know, you know, growing up when they used to say glory, you know, you know, I always talk about something that's bling bling. Anyone, have you ever? I don't know if you are like me, but you know, every time they talk about glory, and of course, in the Bible, the glory would shine and the people would get blinded. So I thought, yes, so God is just bling bling, you know, it's just bright and so on. But you know, it's not as much as the glory may be perceived like that, but that's not all there is to the glory. It's not just an intangible or, 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 yeah, an intangible substance that just blinds your eyes, but God's glory translates into reality on a natural level. Okay. So the glory of God, number one, is God's beauty. You know, where God is, things are beautiful. You read the Bible, where God is, there's order. There's, there's, you become attracted to it. You know, and I mean, you see, even when God gave instructions of how they must build the tabernacle and so on, everything Yamudim is just beautiful. See, so there's nothing wrong in you wanting to be beautiful. And it's not just beauty in terms of looks, but it's beauty as well in terms of orderliness. In your demeanor, you know, there are people who, you know, there are people when you look at them, you just like them because they're, they're not just beautiful in the way they look, but they're beautiful in the way they behave. There's nothing as bad as seeing a beautiful person. Look at your neighbor and say, I hope he's not talking about you. The glory of God speaks of God's power, God's honor. God's greatness and God's authority. Now, this is important. Excuse me, I just want to go back here. So it's important for us to note that the glory of God comes in like rain. Not trickles of rain, which has sporadic effects, but showers where everything is affected. In other words, when God's glory in the person of the Holy Spirit starts reigning in your life, you'll note that everything in your life gets soaked in the power of God. Therefore, this scripture tells us that when we ask God, 
He brings a restoration. In this time of the latter rain, in this time of heavy rain torrents, in this time of the showers, God brings showers, heavy rain torrents, in response to someone asking, to someone praying. In other words, while God, while man is asking, God is answering. Oh, Jesus. Let's have James chapter 5 verse 7. Note what it says. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the rain and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Keep the verse there. This is, this is such an important verse. It says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, the next verse says, Behold the husbandman. That word husbandman means the farmer. The farmer, right? The farmer. In the, in the, in the book of John, uh, uh, Jesus says, uh, uh, I, I, I am the vine, you are the branches. Right? And then he says, every branch in me that bears fruit, my father, who is what? The farmer. My father, who's the farmer, prunes it. So this scripture, when it says the husband man, is not the husband that you're sitting next to. It's, it's a, okay, let's have another translation so that some people think they're sitting next to your husband. Can, can we have another translation? I don't know. That word husband man means the farmer. So this scripture tells us that God the farmer, watch this, is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. What is the precious fruit of the earth? People getting saved. That's the precious fruit of the earth. People being touched by the power of God. All right. So God is waiting. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And he has long patience for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. What is that verse telling us? That verse is telling us for us to be able to reap the fruit of souls, we have to receive the early and the latter rain. But we're not going to get the rain if we don't do the asking. You know, as I was saying it uh, the other week when I was leading the prayer, and I, I said it in the other, the other Sundays, one of the things that people don't realize is the move of God in the church is born on our knees. Every move of God is born by prayers intercessors and travailers. If we don't pray and ask, let's have that verse up there please, and ask for the rain to fall. If we don't ask, if we don't pray, if we don't seek God and ask for it, the rain will not come. Now, this is what many oftentimes is not understood in churches. People want the move of the Spirit. They want the rain to fall, but they are not praying. They are not a prayerful people. I said, I said it in the morning prayer. Imagine, Barcelona, if every one of you here, when you came to the 7 o'clock service, before the service starts, if you are to sit there and do some praying, you know, in years gone by, and we don't see this in churches anymore. I don't know, it's because of the way we are structured. But in years gone by, it was a practice in churches that when you came to church, you would find somebody in the altar praying. Yeah. yeah. And then even after the service, many services used to be closed out by people coming to the altar to pray. We're not doing that anymore these days. And yet we're expecting... The harvest to come. There's no way you can have a harvest if it doesn't rain. Ah, your amens are no longer as convincing. So to the extent that you get the rain, to a large extent it determines the type of harvest that you're going to get. 
If you don't get it, if you have just trickles of rain, even if potentially you can get a harvest, you don't get anything. Because there was not enough rain. More rain, more harvest. Sustained rain, sustained harvest. Are you there, Bazalon? So it says here, the husbandman, God the farmer, he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. Watch, God calls people who are getting born again precious fruit. To God, they are precious because the soul of a person is precious to God. The eternal destiny of a person is precious to God. They are the precious fruit of the earth. And so he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and he has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. So which means this, in these times of restoration, we as God's people, we need to make sure that there's enough rain that falls on the earth. When the latter rain falls, it means that a great harvest of people who are far from God come and God can change entire cities. Listen, Basilan. You know, we, we haven't read the Bible and I think sometimes we don't believe the Bible enough to note that it doesn't take much for God to change cities. God can change an entire city in one day. God can do it. When God brings restoration, he can change and attach. Go with me to John chapter 4. I want to read this story. It's a very long story. And I'm going to close with it. John chapter 4. Uh, let's do the new King James Version, if you don't mind. Because King James husband, and uh, it gave some people the wrong impression. All right. All right. Are you there in John chapter 4? I want you to open it, Bazalan, if you have a, a Bible there. Okay. John chapter 4. I just want to read it from... Okay. It reads as follows. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but he left and departed... He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. All right, so Jesus, we see him leaving Judea, going to Galilee. But note verse 4, which I'd like you to underline that. It says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, the King James says he must needs go through Samaria. Now, that's a very important verse. Because we are told that there was this route between Judea and Galilee wherein between the two places there was this place called Samaria. And the pure Hebrew people did not want to use this shorter route. Yeah, double up. Because they didn't want to go through Samaria because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. There was a conflict between the two. Religious conflict, spiritual conflict, historical conflict. There's all kinds of conflict. And so they didn't want to have anything to do with each other. So if Hebrews had to travel from Judea to Galilee, they used a long route. Jesus comes as a Hebrew, as a Jew, and violates what the normal culture does. Because, see, when God begins moving, God will challenge certain things. God's not going to buy into our prejudices. So then he says he, he, he needed to go through somebody. In other words, it was, an in, it was an intentional act. He did it on purpose to go through Samaria. Why? Why did he go through Samaria? Because as he was going through Samaria... I believe he felt led of the Holy Spirit to do so. You will see as we read later. Let's go to the next verse quickly. 
So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being tired from his journey, sat at the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Okay, let's see what other translation says, because I carry Lona every sixth hour, little What time was it? It was in the afternoon. Okay, I'll read you in the, in the common English Bible. It says, Jesus said that it was about noon. Now, you know that uh, the Jews, when they counted the hours, they counted from 6 a.m. So 6 a.m. Uh, was Kasevene, they call it the first hour. So the day started at 6 a.m. So I had a first hour, at 7 o'clock. So if it is sixth hour, at 12 noon, it's noontime. Are you here? Yeah. You look husband, man, in the sixth hour. Just helping you with that one. The sixth hour. Okay, let's read. A Samaritan woman, I'm reading the Bible in basic, in the, the complete English Bible. A Samaritan woman came to the world to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. Now, you've you got to see what Jesus is doing. He's very aware of the tensions that are there between Samaritans and pure Hebrews. Not only that, it's a woman he's talking to who at the time women were not highly regarded. Jesus is a rabbi. It was seen by his dress code that natural people didn't have contact with rabbis. So Jesus is violating a lot of things. See, when, when God starts moving Barcelona, he doesn't care. He doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jesus is, is violating all kinds of things. And, and you'll see at the end why this happens. So this is going to be important for you as we read it. So Jesus says, give me to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. Now, I want to put that in context. I think, Bible doesn't say that. I think the disciples couldn't handle the situation. He's brought us into Samaria. We have never been there in all our lives. We don't ever come here. This is not our WhatsApp group. Right? Jesus has brought us here. And where's Kimona? He is sitting at the well talking to a Samaritan woman. I mean, he's talking to a woman, but a Samaritan woman no how. So they just thought, look, let's deflect, let's detract, let's distract ourselves by just involving ourselves in something. Even if you can try to ignore what God's doing, God's going to get you. Sometimes you can look this way, we dafties say, God, God, he's going to get you. So they are trying to act like you know, they don't want to be involved. So, And this is all important. Are you with me, everybody? Yeah. The Samaritan asked Jesus, why do you as a Jewish man, knows what she's raising, why do you as a Jewish, so is the issue of ethnicity, man, issues of gender, ask drink of me a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans don't associate with each other. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is trying to reach out to this woman. He's aware of her spiritual need, but he doesn't bombard her with verses. He talks about natural things to try and get a conversation going. You see, some of us, when we want to win people to the Lord, we're not wise. You know, we say, well, no, yes, Hawkwind. That's our first statement. And when you start there, these people are not going to, they are not going to. You got to start with something that is natural. Just a conversation going. Right? Jesus says, give me to drink. So he's sitting by there and says, give me to drink. This woman says, how can you? And all of that. And Jesus says in verse 10, if you recognize God's gift, and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would be giving you living water. And the woman said to her, him, sir, you know now she's a kind of, she's now kind of uh, changing her tone a bit. She's calling him, sir, now. Sir, do you have a bucket and the well is deep? Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our Jacob, our father. So she's raising historical issues. Because Jews and, 
and, and Samaritans were fighting over the fact that Jacob is their father. All of them, they're in his lineage. And they were arguing who's the best one, who's the purest lineage. So she's raising those historical issues. He gave this well to us to drink from it himself and his sons and his life. So Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him becomes in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. This woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Jesus got her. Give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and I will never need to come here again. So Jesus starts, note this, Mazalan. Jesus starts with a natural need, what we call a perceived need. This woman really came to the well to draw natural water. But her problem wasn't just the fact that she didn't have natural water. She had serious spiritual problems. All right? So, you see, watch. God always responds to people to their immediate need. Even if you know they need to be saved, that's not where you start. You start with their immediate need. If they need clothes, give them clothes. If they need food, give them food. Talk to their perceived need. Respond to their perceived need. Then you can move to another level after that. Are you there, Barcelona? The woman replied, oh, Jesus says, so in verse 16, Jesus, through the word of knowledge, and this is what I like, Jesus already knew through the word of knowledge that this woman wasn't living right. All right? But he's not beat her over the head. He says, go call your husband. Go call your husband. And I like this woman because she's honest. The woman replies, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. Because you've had five husbands. And the men, oh, do now. So according to God, how do you know to? It doesn't mean they're your husband. So when you are talisaning, when you are talisaning Lemoto and you are sharing an apartment together, that's not your husband. If Halanyala is not your husband. Oh, I thought you would be happy with that revelation because some of you, the answer must listen. He says, you've stayed with five guys. But that doesn't make them your husband. Yeah. That Because it's cheaper. Apartment. It's not your husband. And they cannot claim marital rights. Neither can you. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. And for it. No, no. Don't look at me like that. I'm going to go to chess. I'm going to go to chess. And the woman said, Sir, I see, watch this, that you're a prophet. Isn't it amazing? Other people would have gotten angry. Like some of you already said, You are not listening to me anymore. You say, Yeah. This woman, Azanga Kubeg. When the truth came away, and that's the good thing with God, Bazalan. The gospel is very confrontational. If you will be humble enough to face the truth that the gospel brings, look at your neighbor and say, Stop nulling, stop nulling, stop nulling, stop nulling. Yeah, that's another thing with the gospel. This woman says, I see you are a prophet. Then she raises now. Theological issues. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say it's necessary for us to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus takes it another level. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what we don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming, and it is here, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is a spirit, and it's necessary to worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, hey, this woman, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And the one who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will teach us everything. Jesus said to her, I am the one. You know, it's amazing that Jesus revealed who he was to very few people. Very few. Very few. Just look at the mercy of God when he meets this woman who's living this kind of life that this harvest that God is looking for, he doesn't reject them because they are wrong. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can play holier-than-thou game. Now, Barcelona, we have to stand for the truth. We preach the truth. We proclaim the truth, but we're not holier-than-thou. Are you understanding what I'm saying? When we meet people who don't know Christ, let's understand their situation. They are not born again like you. So how about how are they supposed to live? What are you expecting? Jesus just had a way. When his disciples couldn't take it, they left. You remember Salibaya chicken licking. You remember Salibaya? He says, I am the one who speaks to you. Just then, the disciples arrived. At that point, when Jesus just reveals who he is to this woman, I mean, the conversation has been going well, and they arrive. And when they arrived, they were shocked that he's talking to this woman. Mara, no one asked. So, atmosphere No one asked, what do you want to this woman? And they didn't even ask Jesus, why are you talking to her? And the woman put down her water jar and went into the city. I thought she came to get water. There's something about an encounter with God. There's something about an encounter with God. You needed physical water. The woman put her water jar, went into the city, went into the city, went into the city, went into the city. And he said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything that I've done. Could this not be the Christ? They left the city. They went on their way. People from the city, the whole city. In the meantime, the disciples spoke to Jesus and said, Rabbi, eat. Verse 32, he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. He was very angry with them. The disciples asked each other, has someone brought food to him? Jesus said, I am fed by doing the will of God. And the one who sent me, I'm here to complete his work. Verse 35, don't you, have, don't you know a saying, four more months and then it's time for harvest? Look, I tell you, open your eyes. Notice the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Those who are harvesting are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that those who sow, those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that one sows another harvest. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work hard for. Others work hard for and you will share in their work. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, there's a move of God. The reign of the Spirit is reigning. There's a harvest coming. Mara, your, 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 your mindsets and your prejudices are stopping you from seeing what God is doing. You are worried to remove your upper uniform. You are worried to remove your tie. You are worried to remove your young. You don't even see that God is working in their lives because your religious prejudice is stopping you from seeing what God is doing. There is a harvest that's going on. The rain is falling. Mara, your prejudice is stopping you. What am I saying, Basala? In these times of restoration, when God is moving, he may move in a way that violates what you think is the best way. He may do things that you think shouldn't be done. God may touch people that you know to be drug lords, you know to be traffickers, you know them to be sex workers, you, you know them, you, you know them, you know these people, you know how they live, you know Rick McKinsey, you know, but God's not going to ask your permission whether he must touch them or he mustn't touch them. 
Jesus says, lift up your eyes. Look, it's, it's raining. It's time for harvest. God is moving. So what is he saying? He says, when it begins to rain, be humble enough to accept that the way God works might not suit your preferences. God will raise up people that you think shouldn't preach. God will use people to heal people that you didn't vote as a committee. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying, Basalana. When God begins to move, when God begins to move because it's raining, raining, the husbandman is waiting. And let me conclude. And many, verse 39, many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. Oh my goodness. You know, there are people who will receive the move of God who may not have been the people who have a vantage point. Jesus was sent to the Jews. The book of John says he came to his own. Mara, his own received him now. Mara, the one that he wasn't sent to. Oh, you're not hearing. The one that they used to ostracize when he came. Not only did they receive him, they asked him to stay. Oh. Yes, he stay. Yeah. We may have had issues with Jews and whatever, Mara, when you're a different kind, you stay. Oh, blessed are the people who are able to see when God is working. They say, God, stay. Yeah. See, this woman didn't get offended. She didn't get angry. She faced up to her issues. She accepted this is a man of God. This is the word from God. This is God speaking to me. I'm going to tell other people. She didn't get offended like some of you. See, church people get offended. When God begins to move, God starts dealing with things in our lives. Why is God talking to you about the way you live? Why is God challenging you about the way you live? I'll tell you why. Because he is preparing the soil so that when the rain is falling, the soil is not hardened. Oh, I'm preaching now. The soil must be soft to be able to receive the rain. Because you can be here and the Spirit of God can move mightily. But if your ground is hard, it's not going to help you at all. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. So they asked Jesus to stay. Let's, let's finish, Bazalon. And it says he stayed there two more days. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have hid our, for ourselves. And we know that this one is truly the savior of the world. The whole city. The whole city. I don't know if you have faith enough to believe in this level of the move of God. I don't know if you have faith enough to believe that God can touch cities. But let's not be like the disciples. Let's see what God's doing. Let's accept what God is doing. Let's cooperate with what God is doing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join hands with your neighbor, please. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. If you're here today, and you haven't received Jesus as Savior and Lord, the reason I'm asking us to join hands is to show a sign of unity. But if it is that you are here and you want to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, and maybe you're like that Samaritan woman. You may not understand everything we're saying as we preach, as we sing. But in your heart of hearts, God has talked to you. And you want to invite Christ in your life to be the Savior and the Lord of your life and you need prayer. Say, Bishop, my life is not right before God. Would you pray for me, please? That Christ should come into my heart and make me a child of God. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, please? I want to pray for you. Just raise it high where you are, stand, where you are seated. Just raise it high. Let me see it. Just raise it high. And let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Just raise it high. I want to invite Jesus in my life. 
Even those of you in the other branches, you raise your hand. Father, we want to thank you that as the rain is falling, help us to realize the times and the seasons in which we are. And that as you are bringing restoration, we will respond to what you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Keep, keep holding the hand of your neighbor and say, Heavenly Father, I pray for my brother and my sister that you will open the eyes of their spirit for them to see what you're doing and to experience the work of God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, and everybody say, Hallelujah.